wonderful singing this morning. What a blessing it is to, to be in God's house and to be able to just worship God. That's, that's one of my favorite songs of worship. Um, I don't know why. It's just, I, I, maybe it's like the deep uh, notes on it, you know, when you hit, oh, praise. I just like it. I love that song, and uh, I hope it's uh, blessed your heart this morning and getting you ready and prepared now as we study God's Word. So I'm going to ask you to open to Galatians chapter number 3 as we continue our series through this book. The book of Galatians, as we've been studying, uh, is a book that was written to the churches in Galatia and uh, with the purpose of really clarifying and defending the gospel. And uh, these false teachers had, had showed up after the Apostle Paul had left and uh, was confusing the people uh, of Galatia. And Paul uh, writes this letter to clarify just exactly what the gospel is and what it does. Uh, the Judaizers, these false teachers, had been um, attacking Paul's apostleship. Of course, Paul's message, they were attacking his ministry. And so this letter has a lot in it defending uh, those areas of Paul's life, but most importantly, his his uh, his goal isn't try to convince everybody that he is an apostle, uh, as he says in the first chapter. He's an apostle because God appointed him to be an apostle. But what he is trying to really clarify through this letter is the gospel message and the freedom that it gives. Uh, the Judaizers' message was taking the Christians back into bondage, back under the law. And, and we've studied a little bit about that the last couple of weeks of how the law uh, doesn't really give us righteousness before God. It doesn't make us right before God. Uh, nothing we do in our good works can make us right with God. The only way that we can be made right with God is by faith. By faith in what Jesus did on the cross. And we've uh, spoken about that gospel message now quite a few times. And by the time you get to chapter 3, uh, we see that he really begins to crystallize the message of the gospel. Because uh, the fact of the matter is, is that the message of the gospel is far-reaching. It touches not only our personal experience, as it did in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3, personal experience of the members there of the Galatian church, but it even touches the legal standing that we have before God. When you, when you get into verse number 16 down to verse number 15 and, and really all the way down to verse number 25, you, you see that faith is consistent. Faith has always been the way that we are made right with God. And then we find that it, it changes totally our legal standing before God. Last, uh, last week, we talked about then what was the reason for God giving the law. If the law doesn't make us righteous before God, what is the purpose of the law? And we said it had two purposes. One, to remind us that we're sinners. It really made it, it's almost like if you want to think of it, a foam finger that's just pointing right at us saying, you, you have sinned. You have been one uh, that has been uh, not honoring your father and mother. You have been one that has been adulterous in your worship. You have been the one that has murdered others with your hatred towards them. And so it clarified exactly how sinful we were. Paul said, if it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't know how bad I was. But when you start breaking 
two commandments, then three commandments, then five commandments, then ten commandments, then twenty commandments. You start saying, wow, can I do anything right? The law did that. And then the second purpose of the law was to, to be a schoolmaster. And we talked about that last week, how it leads us to freedom. It leads us to Christ. And, uh, and we're going to expand on that thought a little bit this morning as we get into verse number 26. So let's look at what verse number 26 says. Galatians 3 verse 26. For ye are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What is Paul summarizing up there at the end of chapter 3? He's summarizing that the gospel is an identity marker for us. It's far-reaching because it touches our personal life, our legal standing before God, who we are before God, but even our identity. Our identity changes when we accept the gospel. When we believe the message of the gospel, our very person is changed. Now, I'm sure you've know this going through school about the metamorphosis of a caterpillar into a butterfly, right? Uh, the, the caterpillar hatches out of the egg, and, uh, and to make it more scientific, the larva there begins to, to eat every leaf that he can find, right? This caterpillar begins eating, 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 and he begins to grow a little bit thicker, a little bit longer. Um, you know, he, he's sitting there doing this until one day, he gets to the point where he crawls somewhere on a leaf or branch or somewhere and he'll hang down and he'll begin to spin a cocoon. And after he spins the, co- the cocoon, he begins to, the enzymes begin to do the, the work in its bodies and break it down literally into like a soup. And, uh, and science has, has told us this, uh, uh, the, this stage called the, the chrysalis uh, begins to, to work and begins to be formed and, and suddenly uh, of that begins, uh, the caterpillar begins to change, literally change in what it is and grows wings and it has colorful uh, areas there on the wings and it becomes very beautiful. Now it can fly. It's not crawling. It's not eating the same way. It, it totally changes even though it's the same caterpillar. It's called metamorphosis. And when the gospel comes into your life and into my life, it does the same thing. It changes us completely from the inside out. We're we're unrecognizable. If it wasn't for somebody observing that, no one would say, oh, yeah, yeah, that thing flying, that thing with beautiful colors. Oh, yeah, yeah, that used to be just like a little big worm that was walking around. No one would think that. You would, you just, it's hard to even believe when you know it. It's hard to believe. But that's, That's the power of the gospel in our lives to change us in the very same way. And so it gives us the message, gives us some identity markers. And that's what Paul wants to share in these last uh, verses from 26 to 29. Look at the identity markers that, that have changed you because of the gospel. So if you have your notes, I want you to notice, first of all, uh, that what changes when we accept the gospel is that we become part of God's family. 
Now, this truth is marked in many places of the Bible when talking about who we are. Uh, but there's a contrast that, that Paul wants to make using this terminology that's, that, that's pretty amazing of becoming part of God's family. You see, the law emphasized being God's people. In the Old Testament, you'll find that God said, these are my people. And the, and the law was a covenant before God with his people. But now, under grace, through faith, you see that God says, now this is my family. The gospel message and what Christ did on the cross when he died for your sins and mine, by faith, when we believe that and put our faith in Christ, we change. We change families. Jesus says when we're born, we're born in sins. And he says, ye are of the father, your father, the devil. We are literally in the devil's family when we are living, when we are born in sin. But through the gospel, by faith in what Jesus did, now we become part of the family of God. The law emphasized God's people. Grace emphasizes God's family. So I want you to notice that it shows that we are sons. Now, sons doesn't mean don't mean that just in masculine. I mean, we become children of God. Now, there's an amazing truth here. As I said in verse 24, remember it said schoolmaster? Let me, let me expand this thought real quick. Schoolmaster, I, I told you last week, it, it meant when uh, a, a wealthy, usually Greeks or Romans would do this. And, and as I said last week, I'm still advocating that we bring this back. All right, from ages 6 to 16, they would pay someone to watch their kids and teach their kids. Isn't that an awesome concept? Um, I'm just joking. Uh, but, but, you know, from age 6 to 16, this is what, and this was only the wealthy class, the wealthy uh, would hire someone to just teach them constantly. All right. Now, uh, when they got to age 16 or 17, then they were considered now adults. They were considered now uh, people that could make their own decisions, their own choices. They had already been uh, given what they needed, the tools that they needed, and now they're adults. Okay? So here's what Paul is saying. In verse 24, that's what the law was. The law couldn't get you to full maturity. The law can't get you and give you that marker of son of God. It can't. But faith can. Say the law as a schoolmaster was temporarily there to just kind of instruct us. What was the law trying to instruct us to do or see? To see Christ. To see that we're so sinful that if God doesn't send his only begotten son, there's no hope for us. There's no way to be made right with God because we can't keep the law. We can't. We're not perfect. We mess up. There are times where, yeah, we do curse our neighbor. There are times where hate spews out of our mouth. There are times where lustful thoughts dwell in our minds. And we break the law of God. And through that, we can never come or become the sons of God. We can never by obeying the law because we break it. But by faith, believing that Jesus fulfilled the law. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, I didn't come to break the law. I came to fulfill the law. And he fulfilled the law perfectly. Jesus never broke any of the commandments, not one. When he died, he did not die because he messed up. There were two people crucified, one on his right, one on his left. 
who were there because of what they did. One was a murderer. Those was a thief. And because of what they did, they were there. But Jesus was not there because of what he did. Jesus was there because of what we did. He was crucified not for his own sin, but the Bible teaches us for our sin. The sins of the world. And so because when he did that, he paid the price that we could not pay. And by faith, when we believe that that's why he died, and we ask him to forgive us of our sins, the Bible says that he will forgive you, and then he'll do something the law could never do. He makes you part of his family. Look at John chapter 1, verse 12. You're saying, Pastor, where are you getting that? John 1, 12, it's there in your notes. But as many as received him, that's Christ, as many as received Christ as their Savior, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Literally, you can become a son of God through faith in Christ. And then Romans eight fourteen says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And this is what Paul is teaching. The life of faith is being led by the Spirit of God, not by doing the works of the law. So, identity marker number one, we're sons of God. But notice, not only is he talking about being sons of God, but also we're clothed in Christ's righteousness when we become part of God's family. We're clothed in Christ's righteousness. See, Paul shares this amazing truth with the Galatian church. Whereas before, under the law, people were moved by the Holy Spirit at times, right? And that moving of the Holy Spirit was only temporary. For instance, look in Judges chapter 13, verse 25 in your notes. The story of Samson. Samson was one that was a Nazarite, someone that God was going to use in a special way, had taken special vows. And you can, you can read about what, they, what, those, uh, uh, what people that were dedicated as Nazarites were to do and how they were to live in, in the book of Leviticus. We don't, we don't have time to get into that. But I want you to notice in Judges chapter 13, verse 25, that it says this of Samson. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtal. At times. There are times where the Spirit of God would move over someone, but then the Spirit of God would leave. Under grace, the Spirit of God now begins to indwell us. It begins to clothe us in righteousness. So look at verse number 27. So we are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Now verse 27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have been have put on Christ. The word here is the Greek word baptizo, okay? We just transliterated it to baptized in the English language, but it means to be completely immersed into. To be completely immersed into. Now, when we baptize in this church, we completely immerse someone underwater and then bring them up. If you've ever been here for a baptismal service, you, you'll find that the person getting baptized will stand right back here in the baptismal and uh, stand right in the middle. There'll be water uh, probably up to their waist or so. And, uh, and we will ask them publicly, have you accepted Christ as your personal savior? Uh, they will say yes. And then we will baptize them. The Bible says in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and you immerse them under the water. And then you bring them back out of the water. 
Now, if you've taken the new members class, you know that baptism doesn't save anyone. So then why do we baptize? We baptize because it's an external testimony of an inward decision. It's a way to publicly tell everyone else, I have believed on Jesus. I've accepted and received him as my personal savior. The water is just water. There's nothing magical in that water back there. But by doing this, you're proclaiming to people, everyone that's here, hey, I made a decision to be a follower of Jesus. So that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, okay, now you've been made sons of God because those that were baptized in Christ were baptized in him. You were immersed in him. Now, that inward decision, baptism is the external, the inward decision, what, what is happening in the spiritual when that happens? I want you to notice the Bible says that by faith we receive Christ as our personal Savior. He forgives us of our sins, and he gives us his Holy Spirit to indwell us. So now the Bible gives that terminology and says we are in Christ. We're immersed in Christ, and Christ in us. I put this in your notes, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Remember last chapter we talked about this, where, G, uh, where Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I... But Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, I'm, I'm immersed with Christ. Christ is in me, I'm in him. Uh, Romans chapter 6, Paul said it this way, verse number 3, it's in your notes. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. We shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Here's what Paul is saying. Because we are in Christ, our identity becomes sons, we're, we're, we're sons of God, and we've been immersed in Christ. That means when he died, we died. When he rose to new life, he gave us new life. That's why on the external, on the public profession of that faith in baptism, we immerse all the way underwater representing death. We died when Christ died. And we come up out of the water representing new life, everlasting life. Christ rose from the dead and he'll never go through death again, ever for all of eternity. He did that payment once and for all. He's not going to come again in our lifetime to die for the sins now of the world now. No. When he died for the sins of the world, he died for all the sins of all time. And when he rose, he rose to new life for all time. And we now, the Bible says, are with him in, in him. And so here's what happens. When God sees us, he no longer sees sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Think about that. He no longer sees the backbiter, the gossiper, the hateful person, the selfish person, the prideful person. Now he sees 
his son Jesus. The righteousness of his son covering us. That's an amazing identity change. That's an amazing transformation. See, when we're trying to be covered by the law, by doing the Ten Commandments, all we are covered by is condemnation. But by the grace of God, we're covered. We're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. It's amazing. I I don't know if that just doesn't blow your mind, but it ought to. Because that's literally changing who you are. We find that the first identity marker is that we become part of God's family. But when you get in verse 28, he gives us another identity marker that happens after the message of the gospel comes into our life. And that is that we become part of each other as one. Notice what he says in verse 28. After he says we put on Christ, the righteousness of Christ. He says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For ye are one, all one, in Christ Jesus. We become part of each other as one. Now this truth is just as amazing as the first. Not only do we become part of God's family as children of God, but then that family extends to one another. So that everyone that comes to Christ becomes part of our family. That's why if you go to church and you hear someone say, hey, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, can you help me with this? It's not because they're literally brothers through blood. But we're brothers through the Spirit. We are part of the same family. So God makes us his children, and then he says, and by the way, everybody else that comes by faith, they're also your family. So Christmas just got a lot more expensive. We all become part of that family of God, and and I love this, because only the gospel does this. Only the gospel does this. History has proven this over and over. But notice, because of that, Because now we become part of one family. There, Paul says, there's no longer racial divides. By the way, our world craves this. Our country craves this. But we try to to end it by, well, just more liberty, more money, more programming, more... Uh, power, more authority, more whatever. And the fact of the matter is, is that the only way this wall and this barrier is going to come down is if it we're all in the same family. And that's God's family. God's family tears down racial barriers. Because you know, even in Paul's day, there was racial tension. This is not just the problem that is in America. This is a worldwide problem. Do you know that racism has been around since sin came into the world? Okay. Racism isn't something new. It's not in the last 50 years or 100 years. No, no, no. It's always been. People have always been divided through race. Whether it was like in Paul's day, Jews against Gentiles or Romans against Greeks or even in our days, whites against blacks. It's, racial divide's always been there. But what brings that barrier down is the message of the gospel. Only the Christian world will do that. 
Only the message of the gospel does that. You can read all the other religions. They still have barriers. They still divide. No longer racial divide. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. I love it. And have put on the new man, which is Christ, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, uh, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. That's the message of the gospel. Brings down racial divide. Notice, secondly, it brings down social divide. Paul said, not only is there no Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free. You know, this has also been a big wall in our world, rich versus poor. Even in our world today, we still struggle rich versus poor. The social classes. And the world's way of handling it has sometimes been just ignoring the problem. In their day, whether it was slavery or free market, it was kind of like, well, just the way it is and leave it there. The world, for much of its existence, ignored the issue. Others have just accepted it and, hey, don't change it. That's just the world the way it's always been. It's always been slaves of the world. Just leave it that way. And Paul says, you know that the Christian message, the message of the gospel, tears down that. One of the things I love, and, and there's a lot of, this country is not perfect, not by far. But there are some things that are undeniable about our country. The fact that we went to a civil war to try to end something like that. But, but, but I love that the Union, the North, glad they won. I love when they, they sing the battle hymn of the Republic. There's a line in that hymn that says, While Christ died to make men holy, let us die to make men free. I love that. I love that line. Because the basis for why they're going to be fighting and doing what they're doing is the gospel message. That's all it is. Well, well why should these slaves be free? Because Christ made us all free. That's why. So, so they could take the moral high ground in this battle and in this fight. There's no, no longer any social divides. There's no rich or poor, slave or owner, no. The message of the gospel takes down that wall and transforms us. It makes us all part of one another. I, I love what James says, and, I, and I, I put this, the New Living Translation, I love the way they translated it, uh, the translators of that version. It says this, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? James says that, that, that's not Christian behavior because the message of the gospel breaks that barrier. There's no other Jew nor Greek, the racial divide, done. There's no bond nor free, social divide, done. Then he says there's no male nor female, the gender divide. And let me clarify here because we live in a day and age where people try to use this verse and say, see, God, God is all about genderless and let's just take away genders from bathroom and genders from everything and gender identity and pronouns, let's take it away. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Those that have used this verse to do that have perverted the gospel of message. It's not what Paul is saying. 
The Bible clearly states, male and female created he them. God created us male and female. Paul is not trying to go genderless on us here. So why did he mention that? Well, in this day and age and in the society in which they lived, there was a very big difference between men and women. The rights that were given to men as opposed to women. Now, Paul's not advocating feminism here. This is not what he's saying. But if I can explain and elaborate a little bit what he's saying is, listen, there was a divide. Even in the Jewish society, there was a pretty big divide. Uh, for instance, to, to represent the covenant of being God's people, according to the law, you have to be circumcised. Women can't do that. So they're looked at, well, you're part of the covenant, but not really. I mean, we are really a part of the covenant. Do you know that priests were only men? There was no women. God said no women are allowed to be priests. Uh, there was, a, there was a, a divide there. There's a purpose for it. There's a reason why God made it that way, and this message isn't to elaborate on all of that. We don't have enough time, but... But what Paul is saying is, but with the message of the gospel, that barrier came down. Whereas before, women couldn't even be priests. Under grace, the Bible says we are all priests. First Peter, the apostle Peter says, but we are a peculiar people, a royal priesthood. He's not talking about just men there. He's saying everybody, men and women. We're special. We're different. We've been sanctified by God and that barrier, that barrier that's there in how we treat one another is gone. The message of the gospel did that. And let me just say that that is a Christian idea. That women have equal value in God's eyes is a Christian idea not just a religious idea from somewhere that just came out. It's not a social justice idea. It is based in Scripture. Now, our roles are different, very much. And the Bible is pretty clear on our roles being different as men and women. And what we do and our responsibilities for, before God, very different. But what Paul is saying is the value who we are in God's eyes. Somebody asked Jesus once, so um, in the next life, like if I was married to this wife, am I still going to be married to her? What if she dies and I marry a second? Or maybe she dies and I marry a third. Or the next one dies, I marry a fourth or fifth. Or I mean, whose wife am I going to be? God said, look, in the next life, you're not giving into marriage. You're like the angels. Your value is what he's saying. The gospel message changed everything. Who we are in Christ has made us sanctified, a peculiar people, precious in the sight of God. The law could not do that. The blessings that are a result of the message of the gospel don't come through the commandments. They come by grace. They come through faith. Then I want you to give you the last identity marker because time is flying. Number one, we're God's children. That's amazing. Number two, we're all part of the same family. So we're related to one another. That's awesome. 
because our value is equal. That means, that means we're, we're, we're part of something bigger than ourselves. Number three, we become part of Abraham's seed. In verse 29, he says, And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This last identity marker is important. Because there are three different types of Abraham's seed in the Bible. I'm going to give them to you really quick. Number one, Abraham's seed could include the Jewish nation. They're actually his descendants. To them is promised the millennial kingdom. To them is promised the promised land of Jerusalem and Israel as we know it. And that is the posterity, the, the seed of Abraham. But then there's a second type of the seed of Abraham. And we find that in Genesis chapter 17. And it's Ishmael and his descendants. Even though they're not part of the covenant of the law, yet God blessed them. They are what we know as the Arab nations today. Uh, they're descendants of Ishmael. They are part of Abraham's seed. Yo, though they're not part of the covenant, and we'll talk a lot about that in chapter 4. And then there is the spiritual seed of Abraham, and that is everyone that comes by faith to Christ. So the last type number three, those that come by faith in Christ as Abraham's seed, is what Paul is talking about in verse 29. He says, when you... Receive the message of the gospel. You join the ranks of those that are saved by faith. We become part of Abraham's seed spiritually. Now, this is important because the Judaizers were telling the people of Galatia, you know what? You want to become part of God's family and God's people? You've got to follow the law. If you haven't been circumcised, you've got to get circumcised. If, if, you're, if you haven't honored your father and mother, you've got to honor your father and mother. Hey, uh, if, you, if you haven't gone to the temple, you've got to go to the temple. If you haven't given this sacrifice, you've got to give this sacrifice. I mean, they had all these rules and regulations to follow. And you say, why, why are you going to do all that? Well, so we can be part of God's family. And Paul said, you're already part of God's family. The law cannot make you part of God's family. Only faith in Jesus makes you part of God's family. That's what makes you part of Abraham's seed. You don't have to go doing all the law. Because all you're going to do is you're going to find out that your good works aren't good enough. So we join the ranks of those that are saved. Romans 4.13 For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That's what he's telling the Galatians. It wasn't through the law that you become Abraham's seed spiritually, but through faith. And then, in your notes, we become heirs. He said, heirs according to the promise. The inheritance that we receive is that of eternal life through Jesus Christ. His blessings become our blessings. For instance, the, the scripture says, because he lives, we too shall live. Because he reigns, we too will reign with him. In other words, everything of the blessings of Christ become our blessings. That happens through the message of the gospel. That's what we become heirs of. Paul reminds the Galatians that the gospel affects what family they are a part of and what inheritance they receive. I was going to go through examples of this, but it, time is already going way too fast. But I'm reading the book of uh, The Life of Steve Jobs, like the last two weeks. 
he made quite a bit of money. If you're his son, read the inheritance you're going to gain from that. Pretty substantial. Apple was the highest, I don't know if it still is, or it was for a long time, the highest stock in the world. You know how much good that does me? Nothing. Because my last name's Mendoza, not Jobs. So the inheritance that he leaves is for his posterity, for his kids. But the inheritance that we receive through Christ is everything he's got. We're going to expand on this in chapter 4. I can't wait. But just to, because we've got to stop now. We become heirs of the inheritance. Our inheritance is, is amazing. It's amazing just because of the gospel. This morning, I just want to remind you just how far-reaching the gospel message is. It's so far-reaching, it transforms you from one family of the devil that's condemned and cursed to the family of God that is blessed and has eternal life. It's so far-reaching that it takes you out of a family where there's backbiting and gossiping and hatefulness to a family of one that there's love and no racial divides and no social divides and no gender divides of who's more valuable. No. The gospel message changed that. It changed us to what our posterity is, our heritage is, our inheritance. From inheritance of a family that has nothing to making us heirs of everything. Just want to remind you who you are today. The gospel has made you so much greater than anything else could in this world. And let me tell you, if you're here and you've never put your faith in Christ and you've never received the message of the gospel, man, I want to encourage you to do that today because you make that decision and it changes everything, everything of who you are. Now, what are the benefits of being in this new family? What, what comes of it? What, what, what is this inheritance all about? We're going to learn about that in chapter 4. So come back next week. We're going to start that. But this week, let me tell you, just enjoy it. Just enjoy this week. Tell yourself every day, hey, I got a pretty awesome family. Hey, listen, if you're, if you're in a family where there's been a lot of fighting, family that just doesn't talk to one another and there's been a lot of disagreements. Listen, don't focus on that. Focus on your spiritual family and say, my family's pretty awesome. Yeah, don't forget whose child you are. Listen, this week, when the electric bill comes in and it's way higher than it used to be, like a year ago, just remember, you know what? I have a great inheritance. An inheritance that money can't buy. It's pretty awesome. And listen, it'll take you from having a bad day to having a great day really quick. Because bad days stink. Talking to Kevin, Kevin's been struggling. We've been praying for him with his health. And I said, Kevin, how you feeling today? He said, eh, it's been a good day, but I got good days and bad days. And Larry said, man, bad days are usually when I'm around. <laughs> bad days stink. When you're struggling with your health, bad days stink. And I said, those bad days, you got to remind yourself, but you know what? My family's pretty awesome. 
That's pretty awesome. I, I'm a son of God. That is awesome. The inheritance that I have after this, money can't buy it. Health can't give it. Just God. Just His grace. Just the message of the gospel can, can transform like that. Listen, let's just feed on that this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and thank you for the message of the gospel. It just seems like every week we come back and we're hearing more about the gospel. And Father, there's always a new aspect that just moves my heart and touches the depths of my soul like nothing else can. Father, so easily we can come to church and if we've grown up in church and we're saved, easily we can just say, hey, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. And Father, help us to meditate on just how awesome that is, being made one in this family where every barrier has been brought down, where true peace can really be felt and lived. Help us to never forget what it means to be your son your children. Just the amazing thought of that. To go from death unto life. Help us never get over that. Help us to think about our inheritance and our future. What a bright future. What an awesome future. In the days that we have bad, Father, help us. Help us just to think it ain't always going to be this way. There is a better day coming. Help us to look forward to that day. Help us to be strengthened by that, by, by that thought. We love you today. We love the message of the gospel and what it means. Help us to just be washed over with that. May it encourage us this week. May it strengthen us. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.